Hello, I'm Marco Zaza. And I'm David Zaza. This is Concertina Died and Other Stories of the East Side. Over the years, whenever our family was gathered around the dining table, I would tell stories about growing up on the east side of Youngstown, Ohio. These are fond memories of my youth, of my Italian immigrant parents, and of the shared experiences of family. I hope that some of the pleasure and the sense of the past that I get from telling them comes through in this podcast. Food, and the experience of preparing it, then the experience of eating it together, are central to my family. Marco focuses today's story on bread, and the rich visceral memory of being a child eating it with wonder and delight. And while the specifics of this story take place not at home, but at a friend's house, that friend, over time, became family to my father, and therefore to all of us. This is one of the first stories my father wrote for my blog decades ago. It surprised me, because I hadn't ever heard him tell it before. He wrote it before our family had ever traveled to Italy together, during the over forty years between his first visits there and his vacations there later in life. I can report that yes, when we've gone to Italy together since, we have definitely eaten bruschetta there, together, as a family. Bruschetta with the Catullos. I recently finished reading Under the Tuscan Sun, and I had such warm feelings thinking about the wonderful way Frances Mays laid out her adventure in Italy. I was transported into that wonderful world of sun and antiquity. While reading, I was especially interested in Mays' description of bruschetta, which is basically toasted crusty bread and then topped with many various things. When I was in grade school, my morning routine was to forego any breakfast at home. Only a large mug of coffee, very sweet and very light. Then I would tear up the street one block to my best friend Joe Catullo's house. Invariably, he was never quite ready to go, so I was invited into his parents' kitchen. Picture a big square table, spindle-back chairs, and kitchen cabinets with glass-pane doors up to an 11-foot ceiling. Matteo, Joe's father, was always seated in the chair that faced the back door through which I entered, and he always had an old-fashioned toaster, a sort of pyramid with hinged doors on each side that toasted the bread first on one side and then the other, sitting in front of him. You want a summer toaster? he would ask. Always, I answered, yes. This started a ritual which never varied. Joe's mother would take a large round loaf of bread hold it against her breast, and with a long, sharp knife, cut a one-inch slab of the tasty staff of life. The slab was cut in half and handed to Matteo, who then toasted it to perfection, then called for the butter. The butter was never kept in the refrigerator, but rather on a shelf behind the glass cabinet doors. It was always very deep yellow and very soft and spreadable. When the domed butter dish was presented to him, he then spread a thick layer of the nutty stuff on the warm, crusty toast. I ate it without ever stopping to say a word until it was gone. Now that was bruschetta.
Now, the Cthulhu's are people I've known all my life, and they're people you've known all your life as well. Were your families friends, or did you and Joe meet in school? Joe and I started kindergarten together, and our mothers took us on our first day. But the two families were not friends in that sense of the word. They knew each other, but they didn't entertain each other in each other's homes. But you and Joe became friends in kindergarten. Joe and I were friends from the time we started pre-kindergarten, and then kindergarten, and all through high school. And to this day. And to this very day. And then I was his best man, and he was my best man in our respective weddings. What year did he get married? I want to say it was when I got out of the service. No, it was before I went into the service, excuse me, because I got married in 62, so I think he got married in 58 or 59. How clear are your memories of his parents, Matteo, and what was his mother's name? His mother's name was Maria. I have very good memory about his parents. I knew them quite well because whenever I went to his house to call on him, he never was ready to go. So I always spent some time in the kitchen with his mother and father. And what about his siblings? Were they around? They were older than him. Millie was still around at that time. His sister, uh, Amelia, they called her Millie. And I think for a short while, his sister Sue... Her name was Asunta, but they called her Sue. She was around for a short while, but she was more of my sister Martha's age. And then she married, and she was no longer there. But Millie was there for a long time. His brothers were both, well, one brother, Pat, was married and out of the house already. The other brother, Tony, lived at home, but I rarely saw him. Were his parents significantly older than yours, or were they about uh, the same age? I think they were around the same age. And were they alive around the times of your weddings? No, his mother died before mine, before my mother. His father died after Maria and I were married. We were living in Youngstown at the time because I remember going to the funeral. Okay, now, so going back, tell me about this toaster. It's hard to describe. It wasn't a pyramid because it only had two sides. It didn't have four sides. But the two sides came together to a peak. And they were doors that folded down. And you put the bread on the toaster, closed the doors, and then you had to turn the bread to toast the other side. So you had to watch it carefully. It didn't have a timer. No timer. You were the timer. This is electric. Electric, right. It toasted the bread just perfectly if you knew what you were doing. And apparently Joe's father knew what he was doing because that was the best toast I ever tasted. My mother toasted bread in the oven under the broiler. I think we had one of those gadgets too, toaster, but I don't think she used it because she had to make a lot of slices at once for all of her children. Anyway, it was really good toast. Okay, now I'm thinking about when you've told this story in the past. You said at the time you were confused about the butter and why Joe's mother never kept it in the refrigerator. I don't believe it was butter. So that's what I wanted to ask you about now. I think it was oleo. Because when you went in your own life, in your adult life, to using unrefrigerated butter, you started using a butter bell. Yes. You think this was not a butter bell? It was not a butter bell, and I don't believe it was really butter. It was something that was developed during the wartime, during the Second World War, and it came with a colorant because it was always very yellow, and it probably was nothing more than fat of some type, lard that was colored with this little vial of color that came with it, mixed up. And it was kept in a butter dish 
but not refrigerated. And what was it called? They called it butter, but <laughs> it wasn't butter. I don't believe it was butter. Oleo? It might have been called oleo. It was a mixture of oil and some kind of fat. And it was tasty enough. It was good. On hot toast, it tasted wonderful. At this point in the conversation, I stopped, and I tried to go to some experts about what this butter substitute was. I went first to Wikipedia, and then I went to my mother, and I asked if she remembered anything about what was served to her during the war. I don't know how they did the color, but they actually covered over the oleo stick with this color. Was the, it look like butter. Was the oleo stick like lard? Yeah, be lard. I think it's a cultural thing of the throwback. From it was the developed in the during the war. That yeah. I know because yeah, we yeah. used it at Couldn't home too. Couldn't get butter. No. Correct, and their memory serves them well. Wikipedia did tell us that yes, it was oleo margarine, saying quote. Rationing during World War II led to a reduction in supply of animal fat and butter, and by 1945, original margarine had almost completely disappeared from the market. In the United States, problems with supply, coupled with changes in legislation, caused manufacturers to switch almost completely to vegetable oils and fats. Oleomargarine. By 1950. End quote. So, going back, you describe this as a ritual that never changed. I mean, would you approach this back door and you just walk in, or did you... No, I never you? just walked in. I always called first, called for Joe, stand outside the door and call, Joe, Joey, Joe, and then his mother would come to the door and she'd say, he's not ready yet, come in. And I would go in, and the rest of it was a ritual because it was early in the morning, and his father always sat in the chair that faced the back door. Their kitchen table was a big square thing. It was not round or, or rectangular. It was square. That's all that was on the first floor was the kitchen and a small living room. And they had no bathroom in that house. There was something in the basement, but I don't know what, because I never went down there. Not modern plumbing. Not modern plumbing, no. Anyway, the ritual was usually always the same. They'd go in, his mother would say, come in, and his father would offer me toast, and I always said yes because I liked it. And, then, and you're not having any kind of conversation with them at this point, are you? They just ask if you want the toast, and you say... You want the toast. That's right. That was it. No conversation, because what would I talk to, to his parents? I mean, I had nothing to say to them, and they had nothing to say to me. And they spoke even less English than my parents. Aha. Uh -huh. And where were they from? They were Neapolitans from the hills of, around Naples. They weren't from the city itself, but they were from the Neapolitan area. So after this conversation, I went back to the web to search for old-fashioned toasters, and I found one that Marco thought was just like the one the Catullos had, which started both of my folks back down memory lane. He actually showed me pictures of the toaster. They didn't schmear in northeastern Ohio. <laughs> they only schmeared in New York. <laughs> Well, Mom can't help it. She's a New Yorker. <laughs> As with all of the episodes of this podcast, the story and memories are all Marco. But Marie Zaza obviously contributed to this week's conversation, too. 
Thanks, Mom. Next week, we'll hear a bit more about Marco's friendship with Joe, this time as teenagers. Thank you for listening, and Marco, I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>